and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lenu. We're a day late, but we're not a dollar short. We're going to talk about The Phantom of the Opera, starring Lon Chaney from 1925, Unsilent film. But before we get started, how was your week? Uh, my week was actually, it was really good. I um... I love that every, every time I ask you, you're like, actually, it was pretty good. Well, after <laughs> months and months and months. Oh, I guess, yes. It's, I'm very happy for every day where I am going through with a minimum of pain. And I have good interactions with my coworkers or my friends. So, yeah. Healing. Healing. Better. On the mend. Futures. Yes. What about your week? My week was pretty good. Uh, we uh, were without internet for too long, which is mm. why I'm, we're rec- I, this should come out when it normally comes right. out. But we were recording late because we didn't watch the movie until Monday of this week, the week that I'm dropping this episode. And uh, we don't usually do that. Usually we record on Monday. So uh, our internet was out, but maybe it wasn't. It's a mystery to everyone. So That was really strange. That's the thing. The app says it's out. The router doesn't work. But when you look at the app, it's like, no, we see that there's an outage. We'll let you know when it gets better. Uh-huh. They don't let me know. They don't nope, let me they know. They don't let me know. And I keep checking the app, and it keeps being out still. It still says it's out. I restarted the router, and it worked. So, But then earlier tonight, before I came to get you, it dropped out again. So I don't. Well, we're going to go get But it's fine now. The proper router. Yeah, I have to go get the white one, apparently. Um, the white one is the good one, and the black one isn't. And Comcast, you need to do better in 2022. Well, i got to be the, the white one. <sighs> because as much as they want to say we've made progress, they want to legislate us back into the 1960s. We do realize that this might completely be arbitrary, and we're being silly, but it's, not. it's a good line to draw. Here's I the think. thing, though. Nothing is arbitrary. Uh, Somebody should have said, hey... Hey, can we not? That's true. <laughs> make it pink. Make it blue. They want to make it go with your decor, probably. Fine. Make them all black, then. What are you doing? I think uh, black actually goes with my decor much better than I mean, white yours, does. yes, because you only believe in one color. <laughs> all right. You want to get into this movie? Yes, I do. Let's start with, we watched a 78-minute long version that was on... Paramount Plus, uh-huh. that I believe then we picked up on Amazon Prime. Right. Same cut of the movie. I believe it was the Eastman print of the movie because the Wikipedia talks about an extended scene at the beginning of a man with the lantern. Right. With no title cards to indicate what is happening, yes. <laughs> which is what we saw. And I was like, um, so I don't watch silent films. Should we have no idea what's happening right now? It feels like his mouth is moving and they should be telling me what he's saying. But they are not doing that. <laughs> and uh, so that is probably what we watched. It was, uh, it's the one that is currently free for Amazon Prime members and also on Paramount+. Plus, and it is 78 minutes long, which is shorter than both of the runtimes that I was led to believe, which, one of which is like 145 and the other is like 93 minutes. So... This was short. This was an hour and 18 minutes. But it had a longer intro, weirdly. So I don't know what all they cut out. And uh, this version is has largely been um, sort of not lauded or heralded, but 
just spoken of as closest to the novel. Right. Um, with one major change, which is the end. Yes. Uh, which they've shot the the ending of the book, which we'll talk about. Um, but the audiences were like, the film, Yes, this was a prestige production, and it's uh, produced by Carl Emley, who we had just we just seen his Dracula. Yeah, which so, is in his future, but our right. past. So, um, and his daughter appears in the film, kind of the opera, as one of the dancers. There's a ton of ballerinas, so yeah. That spinning out. ballerinas. Spinning. They spin Sometimes they just spin the for no reason. For, yes, no particular reason. That's like what the, a ballerina does. A lot of little vortices. And you around. said it was because it was a silent film. Right. And as a silent film, there'll be things to look for. Uh, I mentioned to you. For one thing, visually, it'll be amazing. Well, what I was surprised about uh, was the tinting. Right. So different chunks were different colors. Yes. So it starts in like a like a purpley pink color. There are gold scenes and green scenes. Those are the horror scenes, guys. And um, I think those are basically it. There's a darker purple, but those mm-hmm. are the three sort of tones that the movie takes on. They steer away from red, I notice. Red is used, and apparently there is a print where they hand-tinted the red of the his... The Mask of Red Death, his, yeah. his, uh, his outfit or the red, as the Red Death. Um but other than that, yeah, a, a people are under the impression that uh, silent films were in black and white. Any number of them that I've seen have been had scenes in color, and it was really the advent of sound that stopped that practice quite so much. Okay, uh, I like it. I thought it was neat, and I wasn't expecting it because, once again, no history right. of this particular um, ilk of film. Yeah. But that's one of the benefits of silent movies is that although uh, the issue that we have mostly with modern audiences trying to watch them is the frame speed because it gives them these very kind of weird... There's not a a standard frame speed or they're a little bit off. So sometimes people will be rushing at these ridiculous speeds from one end of the screen to the other. They did another... Um, release of this film after 19, er, 1925 and 1929 with sound and they had inserted certain parts that were at 24 frames rates per right. second which is talky mm-hmm. <laughs> speed so what is the frame rate for these i'm not sure know? if it's typically i think it's about 18 i'm not sure that's what we used to shoot in when we were shooting without sound but that's again 18? that's a recent okay so slower right so you're just more things are happening in between right your eye has to fill in more basically is what that means right the, yeah this this um the film frame rate is a confusing thing to me like i understand fundamentally what it is i don't i need to watch something that shows me things the more frames side by side see, so that i right. can see um, per second, the smoother the action gets to the point to where you're watching... Like a cartoon. A, well, you're watching a film th- in a theater, which is something that's been presented l- recently with fil- films like The Master, I think, and The Hobbit, which is their... Well, and the, uh, what's the one we walked out of? Right. Oh, God. Um, the the movie with Will Smith as his right. own clone. Uh, Ang Lee likes working in this style. Right. And, uh, yeah, we walked out. I'm glad that we, we ended up watching it on in television. Regular frame right. rate on television. But when we were there in 3D in the theater, 
We left about halfway in. I was yeah, like, I can't was, look at this like, anymore. It was very confusing for some reason. I didn't feel like I was watching a movie. It made me feel a little nauseated. Yeah. And then they switched into night vision, and I was like, nope. <laughs> and that was uh, that was it. For Did me. somebody get paid for this movie? Is this cinematography or is this a guy with a video camera? That's I, I kept having that confusion. And then when I saw it at home, it's like, oh, that was fun. Yeah, when we watched it at home, I was like, okay, right. I liked that movie, but in the theater. And and it had everything going for it, right? right? Like, I like Ang Lee. I like all the people that are in the movie. Mm. Give me some Wong any day. But, like, I just, I couldn't. I, at my impetus, I was like, could we go? Right. And you were okay with it, I, I presume. I was putting up with it. But it was really hard, especially in terms of action scenes, um, to watch because it was... Difficult to register what was going on. Yeah. And so, um, and they, they work in uh, different uh, sides, uh, like Ang Lee uh, does at times. Different uh, frame rates, different um, formats for the film. Right. 60 millimeter. Yeah. Uh, I think was what some of that was. Uh, his right. Was and Quentin is doing really yeah. large format as well in some of his things, although Just, he did that with The Hateful Eight and then made a strange. movie that was entirely inside of the one right. room of Aside a cabin. Aside from the... N- Opening like, credits, it's in one room. This seems a little extra, Quentin. Just a skosh extra. Yeah, he's a little extra. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so part of the problems that modern audiences have is that they're not familiar with it. So what I try to tell them is that I try to get people to watch silent movies all the time because there's some amazing things to see. This I is, mean, we, would, we did watch the, um, the one earlier with the clock. Safety Last, oh, at the beginning right. of this miniseries. That's right, so that right. was my first silent film. This is uh-huh. my second silent film. That was older than this one. It seems newer. I think maybe the print was better. The print was better. This And also... Um, also the crispness of black and white, because there wasn't tinting in that right. one. It was just black and white, I think helps. And it was a comedy, too. That's true. This We're going to be not. seeing another one, right? We're going to be seeing uh, Modern Times. Charlie uh, Chaplin film. I don't know. Is that on here? Yeah. And that film is, you get to see a lot of, I like the fact that you can appreciate the genius that was Harold Lloyd, and then you get to see the genius that was Charlie Chaplin. It's like, oh no, these people are brilliant. It's not... Um, so was this towards the end of Silent? Like, when did sound, when was sound first introduced, well, do you few, know? Well, within 10 years, they were producing a sound version of this well, film. In 1929, right. they were producing a sound version of the of this, of this film, film yeah. specifically. But like Dracula was 31 right. sound, so you know, in that this six year very span, somewhere then. in the six year span, uh, they figured out sound fairly quickly. And we haven't really. It was like silent films, talkies, right? The the, the sound features, mm. animation, then computer animation. Are those the big sort of step forward steps forward in filmmaking processes? Well, the I don't think IMAX counts. Like you know what I mean? Well, like the, big it, film or small film right. or video or any of that stuff. I don't know. Well, maybe video. It maybe counts digital. In the, um, we can see where there was a, a progression from. Well, the 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 format the term for that just escaped me, which is. Uh, the aspect ratio. There we are. Okay, yeah. And that sort of moved around a lot and expanded. And what we talked about, how um, cameras got smaller after the Second World War. 
uh, because they've yes. been using newsreels, so you're able to get a smaller camera that did not weigh a ton. Another thing that we owe to the military, right. the military and NASA really pushes our arts and uh, manufacturing forward in a lot of ways. Um, that's really interesting. So yeah, so I was looking at, so there was animation, the Horse in Motion series is 1979, 78, 1878, 1879, that's the, um, the one, what? Is it, sorry, I'm just, Sally Garner card from the Horse in Motion series, that is the one that is, uh, in the trailer for Nope. When right. she's like, the first motion picture. And it's like, well, is, is it the first motion picture? Because there was, you know, um, those, like, Nickelodeons and things like that that were uh, basically, like, flip books. Right. But well, yeah, like... okay, so the progression is really quickly because The Great Train Robbery, which was Thomas Edison's film, his Western, yeah, which was full length at, like, 10 minutes or something, uh, was in 1903. 1903. Trip to the Moon. Millier's, right? Millier's Trip to the Moon was 1902. So, Amazing. so it happened. So just we're talking very about quickly. less than thirty years before we get right. sound, yeah, which is a huge step forward. And then, you know, animation is all happening in the thirties right. and then forties, right? Um, I think Snow White is in like the nineteen thirty-three or something. Uh, and but the animation is sort of where it came from. Like that was sort of. 37. Precursor. 37, okay. Yeah. Um, this is sort of a precursor to film. We could do it on, like I said, like a like a glorified flip book before well, we could trope, do... Which is right. all the illustrations on the inside of a disc mm-hmm. that you sort of spin around and it yeah. moves. Which is right. a glorified... Like, it's like yeah. a flip It's the same we, it's the, science as a right flip Right now, as we were speaking, you and I, mm-hmm. me and you, there are two stereoscopes. Yes, you've got two stereoscopes sitting here, but that's and not movement. Moving. That's not movement, but that's the beginning of 3D yeah. imagery. You and how put, old are those? You put them, oh, these ones, I can't authenticate how old they are. These are probably dating back to the 20s. Okay. Um, but it, it was it was in use decades before decades that. Decades before that. So, um, and I always forget, I'm terrible at knowing, like, when photography started, right? right? Which is early 1800s, right? I think so. Like with the big, big, <laughs> and everybody has to stay still for five minutes. <laughs> um, and it was really corpses that were getting their picture taken because they Artists stayed still, still for five minutes. <laughs> but I'm really terrible with knowing yeah when when these things happened. But uh, so yeah, film started like motion pictures started in the nineteen or very early nineteen hundreds. Hollywood is celebrating their 100-year anniversary, mm-hmm. like, now, they're before saying. Before Hollywood, it used to be Niles Canyon. That's right, like, real close to here. Right. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then sound, and then I I think maybe computer graphics, CGI, is right. the next sort of step forward. If you can call it that, but that's just And then personal, digital, general right. digital, uh, you know, enhancements and technologies that feed back into film, but I feel like the addition of sound is maybe the biggest thing that's ever happened to film. The addition of sound, yes. And otherwise it's just I think taking after that, what's happening in other technologies and other places and incorporating it back into film. Right. But I feel like since maybe nineteen twenty eight or whenever, we haven't had a big step forward in filmmaking. I think that the step that and it happened before sound, of course, would be Technicolor. 
Sure. And the color processes. The color processes, yeah. Here we're actually have these sort of tinted lenses over the camera. Yes, yeah. The process of making dyes. That is it over the camera or is it over the film? I presumed that they filmed it all and then they sort of colored in the actual film. Sometimes or, they did that too. Okay. And you said you saw editor's tape in a couple of frames. Right. There was some frames where I saw editor's tape. Um, Which is wild because that is true. Like I, It's crazy for me to think uh, that these things were edited. The one copy that you had uh-huh. and a pair of scissors well, and some tape. What? What you did is... You, I don't trust anybody that much. You made <laughs> the film, right? And then you had... Uh, the director gave a shot list. I'm not sure exactly how they did it for this film, of uh, this particular age. But you have a copy of the film that's completely pristine. Or, or you have the original, which is completely pristine. You don't touch that. You make copies of it. You make a it, copy of it, and, and then, then that's you what you edit that. And then Which is can, how they could make a... a right. A, 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 they're like, of this movie, right. this 1925 Lon Chaney fan of the opera, there are like nine versions There are versions that were... There are so right. many it of them. tested very poorly with some audiences. Yes. Um, the book was, originally, we'll, we'll get into what happens, because right. it's... Mm, first of all, yeah, no, we'll get into what happens, but... The uh, the audiences were bloodthirsty, and they need they needed to change the ending. Well, I think that also you, they frightened them a great deal, and I think the producers here. Pe- this is one of those tales right. of people fainting in the. And in I can screenings. understand that because it is really horrific. It is. I've got to cast my mind back to corseted mm-hmm. in 1925. I also feel like we don't give enough credit to the corsets. For women passing well, out at this sure that, time because yeah. they couldn't take a whole deep breath but in. There's okay, so we'll get back into that. But we should probably start the film at this okay, point. Okay, you want to? Okay, I thought we okay. started with we already started. You talked about the man. Yes. So the man. Go. There's a man. A man. Who is it? Ooh, no one knows. Well, he is. He's the character who later on gets. Oh, is that him? He's the brother. I but, couldn't tell. Right. It's very far away. It's very fuzzy, and he had a big lantern in his hand, and he couldn't see his face. Right. And there are no. Uh, There's no speech. Subtitles There's no titles. No. So um, I didn't know who it was, mm-hmm. but it turns out it's that guy. Uh, Bouquet. Bucket? Bouquet. Charlie Bucket, I believe. Uh, Joseph. Uh, then we just see a behatted, becaped shadow, and that's it. <laughs> just a shadow, and that's it. And some music. Thrilling music. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, then we understand that we are at the Paris Opera House. But are we at the Paris Opera House? Tell us about this set. We (laughs) are not on the Paris Opera House. We are on sets designed from the Paris Opera House plans. Soundstage 28. Which is amazing. And here you also see the integration of special effects techniques, like adding the dimensions of the top of the Opera House with chandeliers in those early scenes. Yes, which are painted thereon, or they're hanging miniatures. Right. There's all sorts of tricks that got used here, but they're still enormous sets. And yes, the the uh, the producer Lemley mm-hmm. uh, commissioned the construction of a set of the Paris Opera House because it would have to support hundreds of extras. Because there are a ton of people on these, especially yes. on the stairway. There is a grand staircase that splits into two, and we there's 
several shots of that static mm-hmm. shots where there's a ton of people coming yes. in and out running away there's a whole circus situation at one point like a like a weird circus ball right with jesters and clowns rolling down these stairs um it is the first set to be created with steel girders and set in concrete so they made a real building yeah this is the first time that they were like we're going to construct an actual building uh it was Mostly whole and being used until 2014. Wow. Isn't that incredible? Yes. That's like 90 years that they were using this thing. 90. 90, I'm right. It was on the Universal Studios lot, and they were still using parts of it, and it was the oldest surviving structure built specifically for a movie at the time of its destruction. It was used in hundreds of uh, movies and television series, and in preparation, the Paris Opera House set went through a preservation effort and was placed into storage. So they took the elements from there. The, yeah, the the facing, right? Mm-hmm. The the what do they call that? Like facades, right. right? Off, put those away in a big in a big room. It's odd to think that you took, or rather, the the when the film was or the the set was constructed, that you had two layers. You had to allow for the access of the camera and right. the extras and everything. And then you're also making a stage that looks like a functional stage with painted backdrops and yes. the, the catwalks above the um, There's catwalks. The there's, there's scenes where they're all, literally on the roof. Right. Um, now, there's an exterior shot, I presume, is an, an actual exterior shot or just a painting? It's a painting. It's a painting. I'm thinking they didn't go to Paris with that big-ass camera. Uh, yeah, so that is where our scene is set. It is the Paris Opera House, and it... Is haunted, sort of. Yeah, we're, we. So we start with two right. brothers. Yes. The Viscount. I don't know the French term. I don't know how to say it. So I'm calling him the Viscount, Raoul de Chagny, and his uh, brother Philip. And Raoul's there because he wants to see his lady sing. His lady is an understudy, so he is not going to see that today. Uh, his lady is Christine Day, D-A-A-E. I don't know. Is it Die? I believe so, but I might be wrong. Uh, and she's I'm the understudy. I'm the person who's called Descartes, Descartes for the longest time. Oh, no. Descartes. Yeah, Descartes. <laughs> Descartes. Descartes right here. <laughs> uh, he, she is the understudy of the, the diva mm-hmm. of the opera house, right. M- Mademoiselle. Well, she's the prima donna. But Prima the Mademoiselle Carlotta. And uh, we do get a quick scene of Raul seeing uh, Christina in her dressing room. And she's like, I care about my career. And I will sing on the opera stage. And so that's that's that. <laughs> and but then, he doesn't want her to have a career. He wants her to come home and be married. Yes, correct. Have and my kids. then as the as they're doing gangbusters, it's like the most popular opera season of all time. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, the uh, two people who manage it in the book, it's the owners, but right. in this case, it's the managers. Uh, f- run for the fucking hills. They're like, uh, we don't want to be this anymore, so we're gonna go. You guys can get new managers. Here you go, and they're handing over the the management, and they're like, what? Why? Everything's going so good. And they're like, yeah, uh, 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 Opera House is haunted. Okay, bye. <laughs> and they're like, 
yucking it up like, oh, isn't it ridiculous that they think it's haunted? But then the literal next thing they do is see a kind of a ghost. We don't know if he's a ghost, but... Well, it's done really well. I yes. mean, they, they, there's someone who's in number five, the private box. Yes, occupant of box number five, the opera ghost, Phantom. And they do go and look in that thing, and there is a behatted, becaped form, and they are frightened by it, and they close the door, and then they open the door again, and then he is poofed gone. That is a good little gag where he's there, and then he is... And it's really it's well shot too because you see him from behind. You just see this sort of flared collar in his cape, and yes, that lets you know a lot about his. I was listening to uh, another review of this film, uh-huh. and one of the points they brought up is that the character, the Phantom here, is so extra. Yeah, yes, and he's aware that he's he's just so. Theatrical. He wants to be extra, though. He wants to be the center of attention. Yes. Despite and his... in, in this version, uh-huh. um, we all know that the Phantom is disfigured, right? We right. know this. Hi, everybody. Spoiler alert, the Phantom. His face is fucked up. In this version, as in the book, this is a congenital issue. He right. has been this way since he was born. He is described in the book as having skeletal features. Right. We'll talk about what Lon Chaney does to make that happen. Oh, God, yes. Um, it's effective. Mm-hmm. Uh in later things, uh, in later versions of the story, he has had a terrible accident, acid splashed in his face, various different things. In this movie, he is um, from birth. Yes. Uh, I don't like the word deformed. Unfortunate. I, I don't know. It's, it's I, very hard to try to find a word that isn't and the, disparaging. The then the implication of that is that he has gone mad. Mm-hmm. Because society sucks. Not well, because of his right. congenital issues, but because of the way that society no doubt has treated him because of said issues. You don't go mad because you're ugly. No. You go mad because people treat you terribly because you're ugly. Hey, society. Do better. Then we have... <laughs> I said, oh, the Karen is here. <laughs> Mademoiselle Carlotta's mother goes to the management with a letter that she has, that Carlotta has received, basically threatening her to say that you will not be singing on Wednesday. Christine will be singing on Wednesday. Step aside. And her mom is like, this is unacceptable. This is assault. And my daughter will sing no matter what. And then, of course, we get a title card that's like, uh, Wednesday, she was mysteriously ill, and Christine did say, <laughs> "It's like, did she get scared? Like, what happened? We can't. I don't we, know. I don't we don't know." That, and I'm that, like, "Did he? Because he could very easily slip something into her tea, or well, he does things like that, mm-hmm. and that's one of the. Well, later he just straight, right, just nooses people like yeah. he's fishing for humans. <laughs> um, I think that, uh, I mean, he also has... But nothing is really told. ...mesmeric abilities and yes, things like that, true. too. that's so. true. Oh, that's true. That's true. Right. He could have just... You feel nauseated. <laughs> Meanwhile, in Christine's dressing room, she is hearing the voice of the mm-hmm. Phantom, and he is saying, you're going to sing, and think only of your master and your voice. What I do you think like about Christine in this film? Here's what I think about her. So she sings, and then immediately after that, we see her and Raul. And Raul is like, hey, hey, you got your dream. You sang right. on the stage of the Paris Opera. Now come 
home with me and be my wife. And she's like, no, (laughs) I'm going to do this. This is what I want to do. You should forget all about us. That is Christine that I like. Two thumbs up for that, Christine. Bad bitch, career woman, getting it done. Later, don't like her so much. I feel like the the scene where she... She's mesmered. So. Right. Where she's with Raul, she um, she comes across as a person who knows what she wants. Mm-hmm. And what she wants is to be the um, prima donna. Yes. Um, Regardless of Carlotta. Right. She does not care about that. Who apparently, from the performance we see later of Carlotta, kind of mules her way through the performance. It, Carlotta is given no grace in this. Right. She's... I don't know that she is a particularly unattractive woman, but she is She's portrayed into, like, as an unattractive woman. Yeah. It's hard to tell with, and, once right. again, just like I was talking about with Dorian Gray. Right. The color scheme, you know, tone on tone color. So even though it's not black and white, it is one color mm-hmm. and different shades. And the makeup right. style of the time, both the everyday makeup style with the with the very pale faces and the darkened lips. It's tricky cuz I I'm like I don't know what this person looks like. They've they've made her face like almost it's just the eyes, nose and mouth. Like there's nothing distinctive cuz there's just mm-hmm. this white makeup with a dark mouth and I I'm like I can't make out features. Okay. She's bigger, I think than Christine, but that's not not that's not necessarily here nor there. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I, I, she's not given a lot of grace. Right, Christine is is well, as I mentioned, her scene of deciding her own fate with Raúl is one thing. The scene where Eric talks to her through the walls, she's oh, almost the gleeful. Phantom of the Opera's name is Eric. You guys, it's Eric yeah. with a K, and that's not scary. It might have been scary in nineteen twenty-five. Go by the Phantom. Don't go by Eric. Dracula? Frankenstein? Eric. Eric. (laughs) One of these things does not belong. I just can't. Yeah, but I like that because you can see that she has this sort of romantic fantasy about this voice. And he's telling her what she wants to hear. Kind of not really paying attention to the way that he ends that speech, which is, and then you will be mine, all mine. All mine, mine, all mine. So it seems yes. to me like and this is she a... she says she's being tutored by him, right. by this mysterious voice. This, it seems to me like this is a story that gives her two choices between, um, between Gaston, right, so to speak. Yes, a little bit, right. And a really, really phenomenally it's crazed stalker. Yes, it's the beast. Well, you will you will t- <laughs> you will join me for dinner. But <laughs> even the beast at least wasn't a homicidal and wasn't so completely in the original story well, the beast the was story, homicidal. It, it's fine. I it's, get you. He's it is a little bit of a beauty well, in the beast right, situation. But though. the what I got from it is that she really is excited to hear someone who's supporting her who career. supports her career. And so that she's... Which Raul right. is not. Raul is like, that's nice, honey. Right. You've had your fun. Now come home and... Yes, that's you know. almost exactly how he phrases it. Yeah. And the next day, they meet in the garden, and she, he he's like, can you please reconsider? And she's like, nope, I'm being tutored by a divine voice. It's the spirit of music. My career is unstoppable. 
and she and he's like, uh, I mean, you're good and everything, but that seems like somebody might be catfishing you. He doesn't say catfishing you. That wasn't a thing in 1925. That's what he fucking means. Somebody's playing a joke on you or or um, taking Which advantage of you in some way. Seem more insulting. If you and that it, is uh, why you know. she's pissed right. and storms off. <laughs> then Wednesday evening, Christine takes takes her takes her place during the performance. Uh, they this is I think when they see him in box five, but right. then he disappears. And then later, Simon Bucket or Bouquet finds the body of his brother, who earlier they had that. So there's there's several scenes where the various people who work in the opera house are asking about the phantom, right. this ghost that is haunting the, the the opera house. Now, also, we have to talk about the Paris Opera House is in Paris. And Paris is... Um, it has an underground. And, yes. and, and I mean a literal underground. I'm not talking about, like, the mafia. I'm talking about many stories underground full of dead bodies. That's what's there's under Paris. There's the catacombs, there's riverways, there's sewerways. Sewerways, and... yes. It's, a, it's right. an old city with uh, deep wells. And under the Paris Opera House is no exception because we do end up going under and under and under, and that is where the phantom is. So he, he, he is asked by uh, the ballerinas and the one actor. But there's this Gaggle of ballerinas. That's probably the best way to put it. They're, they're, I don't know what the mass nouns of ballerina is. But they're body, like a bird, like and, a flock of birds. Right, and they flutter a lot. Yep, there's, there's, the, uh, the two on the ends yes. are always spinning, just for visual interest, I guess. And they gather around this man who is either the stagehand mm-hmm. or uh, the, an actor on the stage. Played by Snitz. I love the name Snitz. His name is S N I T Z. That's not his given name. His given name is Edward. I don't care. Snitz is way better. And they all go and ask Joseph, "What What do you know about the Phantom of the Opera?" And he's like, "There's somebody who lives beneath in the catacombs." And they're like, "So scared." Uh, and for what he knows, he is murdered and mm-hmm. found by his brother, which is rough. And he's found suspended from a hanging noose. by a noose, which comes in in a weird way later. Carlotta receives another note, so we see another scene of her mom mm. bitching to management, and I'm like, why do you have your mom do this for you? This is bad form. You're a grown-ass woman. She's not a child. Uh, and they also, managers also receive a note reiterating that if Christine does not sing, then they will present Faust, which is the the presentation that they're doing mm-hmm. in a house with a curse on it. And then we see them Statler and Waldorfing to themselves right. with Carlotta on the stage, just going, it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good uh, show for a house with a curse on it. <laughs> we will not be overtaken and we will not be, we will not succumb to these baseless threats. And then the thing that I knew, the only thing I remembered from the show other than the music, which wasn't in this. Uh, that chandelier does come crashing down and does kill several people in the audience because it just straight up lands in the orchestra pit. Y'all. Three days later, everybody's back in that thing, and I don't understand. I don't understand how people are like, yes, I will come sit in your theater that just killed a bunch of patrons. Sounds great. Let me do that. Life goes on. <laughs> they weren't in the actual theater proper, though. They, they're celebrating their... 
their ball yes, on the staircase. Yeah. So, that, that so maybe she, that yes. Yeah. So some people are crushed. Christine um, is in her dressing room and then goes. I, is she she's mesmered into going behind the mirror? I think I, she's mesmered. She might be. I think he mesmerizes her afterwards, but I'm not quite sure. There, there's a he seems to she com- goes down. She right. starts going down, and she runs into him basically. Right. And he's wearing his mask, and it is a half face mask with like a veil over the lower part of his mm-hmm. face. She meets the Phantom. He introduces himself as Eric. He says he loves her, right? Does he say I love you or does he say you're mine? Those are different things. Those, those both mean of them, different I think. things. Okay. And then Christine, because she is a woman in the 1920s, does pass right the fuck well, out. She's <laughs> trying to at one point get away, but it's as if his, like very much like with Dracula, his will imposed on her is too strong. Maybe, and from the yeah. effort of trying to get right. away from him. Because he thinks. has magics. Right. He, is, he does. We find out later from his. Um, Unsealed mm. medical file that mm. he is a uh, practitioner of the black arts, whatever that means. And he does pick her up and carry her down to an underground suite. It is. And it's accessible only by a lake. Yes, There's, a black lake. Right. It's far underneath the um, the opera house. And you. He climbs into this sort of boat and he pushes along. Yeah, like a, a gondola, it right. looks like. And this is also where the production design is just beautiful and crazy. Yes. And, and he puts her into bed, and then when she wakes up the next day, there are dresses and there are mm-hmm. shoes, and it is all beautiful. Her bedchamber is quite lovely, and she comes out, and he says... Uh, oh, and then uh, she finds a note, and it says, um, You can come and go as you please. And you can never look behind the mask. Which immediately makes her think of unmasking. <sighs> immediately. This bitch can't wait. Three and a half minutes. She, He's playing... <laughs> this is the other thing. He's got an organ down there, y'all. He is playing an organ for leisure, which is not a thing anyone has ever done because no one has an organ in their home. You practice on an organ or you perform on an organ, that is it. There is no playing it for leisure. He's playing it for leisure. Mm-hmm. And she sits down sort of next to him, behind him, and reaches and reaches and reaches and then yoinks that mask right off of his face he asked her one simple thing and this is the scene where it's ah and he's got this right. this face this face explain this face <laughs> the face is this is really before the development of prosthetics and he so, was hired to do this he was right. given free reign to do this himself it, it's it's really it still is really effective that yes. his makeup job, because Lon Chaney was hired after a while to produce very strange and weird and sinister effects using his makeup skills. Yes. Um, he, um, his Hunchback of Notre Dame was the thing that sort of catapulted him into right. that. Um, and so he was given the freedom to create his own makeup, um, which Wikipedia says he became almost as famous for that as for his performances. And I'm like, I would argue. Well, and here's the, the big deal, though. He didn't do that many horror films. No. Unlike his son. Um, but he yes. was, he gets, the problem is he's made, he made dozens of movies, but a lot of those are lost. Oh, yeah. The ones that survive are the one London that, After Midnight, where he's a vampire. Or okay. this one. This one. Or The, the Hunchback, Hunchback. Yeah. Notre Dame. 
And he was, again, as we know from, uh, I guess it was last week, that he was supposed to be Dracula and Van Helsing, which would have been really fun to watch. <laughs> yes. Uh, but he um, he did this thing where he he pulled his nose up with yeah, the with wire, wires, which would cause him to bleed. He put these sort of wire goggles around his eyes so that they would bulge up. And you can't see what I'm doing right now over the radio, but it's like making yes. a horrible face at Emma. It just bulge out horrible. his eyes. He um, put in false teeth. He impression. raised the contours right. of his cheekbones by stuffing pe- wadding into his cheeks, the, up the right. top of his cheeks. Um, he used a skull cap raised, to raise his forehead up quite a bit. And his, that character's whole hairline is weird because there's like this weird bang across sort of the top where you right. put the headband. And then, then it's bald. Like there's right. a circle Which is, of bald. Actually, what's described in the book is that he's oh, like okay. a death's head and he has a few wisps of hair yes. and disorder and he tries to keep it. Um, but yeah, exaggerated his brow lines, glued his ears to his head, and painted the eye sockets black. Right. He painted the eye sockets black before he put the wires in, so it just makes them start out from his head. Yeah, he added white highlights under the eyes for a skeletal effect, and he created the skeletal uh, smile by attaching prongs to a set of rotted false teeth and coating his lips with grease paint. So. He had the false teeth in, and then they had like little shell, like little hooks for yeah. his lips to go on to pull them back. So just, his just, lips were contorted back, and these gross fake teeth were sort of front and center. Um, and then two loops of wire into his nostrils, which you see at the beginning, at the end during the ra- during the um, right. chase. You that that's not. You can't really... I think a lot of it depended on the lighting and the angle. A lot of it is the angle. If you see right. it front on, it is. But when you see it from the top, you can see that he still has a nose. Because that's right. the other thing. That's what Joseph describes, right? He has no nose. And that's the, the factor that they all seem to describe. He has no nose. He has and no nose. when um, there's a mysterious character who's wandering around the opera house that uh, we're meant to be suspicious that this character actually is Eric the Phantom himself, turns out later that he's not, but... He says something like, well, he has, that's like, what I know about him is that he has no nose. He has no he nose. Has this horrible sort of death has face. I, I, um, yeah, it, it, it really, that scene still really works. And his scenes with the mask off do work for me at this point because he plays the part with such brio. Yeah. And we'll talk about the chase scene later, but that yeah. he's literally positively maniacal. Yes, yes, he is. Um, so he is pissed, and she, and he's like, well, now you're my prisoner, I guess. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. And she pleads with him to let her sing again, and he relents, allowing her to visit the surface one last time, if she promises not to see Raul again. Okay. So immediately, of course, she makes a rendezvous with Raul at the annual Masked Ball, which is held where they literally just had a death by chandelier. It's wild. So this ball is, like I said, you see a lot of shots of that huge staircase with dozens, maybe hundreds of extras dressed up in various costumes, um, both of the time sort of old-timey because it is a masked ball, and right. then jesters and clowns and, and this and this sort of thing. And the Phantom appears in a, 
in a full skull mask mm-hmm. as the Red Death. He uh, gargles up onto the roof when Raul and Christine break away to make their plan for the following evening where he will come after her performance to take her away forever. Well, and, and there because again, she has to perform one last perform time. No matter what. And that's, she's an it now she's an idiot. Right. And that's kind of where it, her need because I, I mean also, again, she's between the you, polarities. Of you these got two men. let go. Right. Why didn't you go to the police and tell them where you were being kept? I'm not a go-to-the-police person. I think we've gone over this a few times. However, if you are captured, mm. held hostage, and then released or are escape, you need to go tell somebody that you had been captured or hostaged, or else someone else will be, or you will be again. One of those two things are going to happen. It is your responsibility at that point to try and make sure that that dude is locked up, and she doesn't do that, and I don't understand why. I think that what we can see is, as I said, she's stuck between this man who wants her to be a homemaker, he's between this sort of rabid fan who only wants her and desires her. Yeah. And doesn't know who she is as a person. No. And doesn't her. care, and so that's fun. In the middle, she's actually really, she's she seems to be very driven to do what she's doing. Sure. She, yeah, and so that makes her interesting to me. It's because I've seen so many versions of this film. Yeah. Um, over time, and some of them are really grand productions like this, and some of them are just sort of you know. Uh, I don't know how you don't make a grand production of this. It's it takes place in the Paris Opera House. Right. Make it grand, but or don't do it. The uh, yeah, that's the, the other thing. Don't do it. But um, <laughs> it really turns her into a more compelling character to me to say I have to do this. I, you know, almost as if she can't help herself. She needs That's what to. it feels like at this right. point. This feels like an unhealthy addiction. Right. You can sing somewhere else. But is he going to find her there? Get to safety. She also... Then is, call the police. She's completely aware of the fact that he has these mesmeric abilities. He has the, the power... Maybe she isn't. Maybe that's mm-hmm. the problem. Maybe she doesn't realize that she is under still under a thrall. She, Maybe right. that's it. That's, that's the most grace I can give her. Okay. Is she is still enthralled. And so that is why she's making terrible choices. So Raul is like, okay, fine. Nine o'clock tomorrow. My carriage is going to be here. If they don't use the word carriage, it's a different word that I didn't know, but it was a carriage. And... We will whisk you away and we will go to... I think they're running away to England. They're going to flee to England. Because if you're in London, you flee to Paris. And if you're in Paris, you flee to London. That's what happens. It's just the way that it is. Because that little strip of water is going to protect you. Channel. Um, But... uh, But he hears them. He hears them. And he's like in the statue. That is something that I really liked. There Uh is um, him eavesdropping. He does not attack them. He wants to, you can tell. But you see his makeup face Mm -hmm. right above the face of a cherub um, or like a a Grecian statue. It looks like the David. It's that kind of face. And it's, and you just that juxtaposition for like 30 seconds is very interesting to me. I loved the way his cape moved too. Hmm. And I wonder how that effect was achieved because this cape is literally billowing behind him. Yeah, in a big way fan. That, probably a big fan that you saw, uh, like in oh old illustrations or comic books. You saw yes, Superman's right. cape billowing behind him. And, yeah, and before CGI, they didn't really have a way to do that. 
Yeah. And now you, it's behaving like Doctor Strange's cape right. or whatever. Yeah. But the um, yeah, it was just it is very voluminous. Uh, another thing that you know about Eric is that he he doesn't seem to be he wants to be the center of attention because he dresses in this costume. Yes. And he's stalking around, and one of the jesters comes up and tries to sort of play a prank on him, and he beats the guy down, right? And, uh, but he, he's, he really wants to be noticed, and it's almost as if part of his motivation is that he is living through Christine as well. Yeah, he wants to be part of society, but society has said, we are not, not interested... Not just that, but to be seen by society or have in a part you. in this. Right, but not... He doesn't want his face seen, no. because he knows what that... Or maybe he him. thinks that if he tutors the greatest, you know, uh, singer in the Paris Opera House, that he will have some recognition or forgiveness. But at this point, he's deeply insane. Yes. I mean, we know that earlier in the film, when Christine is wandering around his quarters... She sees that he sleeps in a coffin. Yes, preparing himself for the inevitable death. Right. That will take away all of his pain, I think is what he says, something like that. It's Yeah, it's wild. But he does sleep in a coffin like a Dracula. As they leave the roof, a mysterious man with a fez approaches them. This is the man we've been walking, right. watching randomly. He he just has, he just like look right at the camera like, hmm. And you're like, ooh, what are you? Who are you? And he says... Uh, the Phantom is downstairs, and you need to leave. And so they do. And then the next day, it's performance time. And right in the middle, she is kidnapped from from the stage. Yoink. From the stage. <laughs> Buff. And he, he puts her on a horse, right? And then... The horse goes down, or is that was the horse that earlier? That was the first time I think. Oh, okay. I'm not sure what he uses this time, um, because she just sort of disappears. She she starts uh, getting very frightened when she sees the lights fluttering off and on. And, yeah. And then she's just not there. Yeah. And then Raul is looking for her in the dressing room, but meets that weird man with the fez, and we find out that he is Inspector Ledoux. He is a secret police. He's been tracking Eric since he escaped the prisoner... He was at Devil's Island, wherein we find out he is criminally insane and has practiced the black arts. Which is a bad combination. Yep. I think not people a good who are criminally insane should not be allowed to practice the black arts. No. Seems like nobody should be allowed to practice anything called the black arts. That's just my opinion. That's where we are. I mean... And... What can we do? Um, then he reveals the secret door in Christine's room, and they all go to the catacombs. Those two go to the catacombs, and then they fall. Oops, they take a wrong step, and they do fall into a dungeon. They can't get out. So this is Raoul and Inspector Ledoux. And Inspector Ledoux, yes. So they're chasing down Christine, and um, they fall into a pit, a literal pit, and they have to... <laughs> the inspector makes them start walking around with one hand raised so that the noose doesn't come around their neck. This is the scene that and it's confusing. Put, put the lie to, or maybe it didn't, and there's a ver this is a version that doesn't have that illustrated, to uh, Chekhov's gun. gun. 
because we're told that and you're expecting to see a demonstration of why it was important for them to just yeah, no. creep around slowly with their hands. Well, no, of course not, because the Phantom is busy with Christine, he, well, and he is the only one who does the nuisance. We have these scenes nuisance. that at the time seemed really ridiculous of just people creeping around in the dark. Creeping around with one hand up. And I'm like, that's not going to help you. Right. If you get lassoed... You're fucked either way. Whatever, it's fine. It's a, but yeah, they are walking around weirdly with one hand up. And he keeps saying, get your hand up. It's a matter of life well, and death. that's what I thought. Like, okay. he keeps, Raul keeps dropping his hand, and the inspector's like, I said. And I'm like, is this a Shutter Island situation? Are you also criminally insane? Could be. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know anything about him. Other than the Fez. He wears a fez, and he has uh, direct eye contact with the camera every once in a while. That's what we know about him. And Philippe, uh, Raoul's brother, has oh. also found his way into the catacombs looking for Raoul, because he's like, I'm not going to let hey, my Raoul, die are you here? here? And, and he went into a very small woman saying, Carol Ann! And the Phantom gets a little notification that somebody is in the Black Lake. He uh -huh. gets a little, he has a little alarm system, a little dog that's arms go up and down like a weird lucky cat. And he's like, be right back. And he takes, we thought it was, I thought it was a cane um, sword. It wasn't. It's a, like a bamboo stick that he goes under the water with so he can breathe. And um, so he goes out to deal with Philippe. And meanwhile, Christine is in his his rooms his chambers flat chambers is good chambers is good and she hears Raul and Ledoux and they're like can you can you see us can you hear us can you get us out and she's like uh no like she has almost nothing to try and find him and meanwhile the phantom does go under the water it does go up to the side of the gondola and does pull Philip out of the boat and does drown him dead Oh no, he did murder another man. Meanwhile, another brother who has been wronged is upstairs and starting a fucking picket fight. So he, uh, uh, Joseph's brother, right? It's Simon or something? Mm. Just is like, we're going to go get this motherfucker. Let's do it. Everybody gets torches. It's the first pitchfork fork torch scene. The villagers are coming a-running. Just everybody that was dancing is now mad and murderous. So they are going to go down to the catacombs their damn selves. And so they do. They come down. There's a big, there's a whole bunch of people coming down. And meanwhile, the phantom goes back to Christine. She's like, oh, he's like, oh, my prisoners, you've heard them. I will broil them. We don't know how. He turns up the temperature in the room that they're That's in. True. Very, very Black high. Arts. Maybe that's what it is. They um, they are crawling up, crawling up, crawling up, and it's getting so hot. And it's getting so hot, and then she, he he puts a test to Christine, and she has to turn a scorpion. It's this like carved scorpion. Turn the scorpion, and you will be mine forever. Turn the other one, and everybody dies. I think it's basically. Oh well, yeah, what because it is. what they find is there's these different chambers underneath the yeah. opera house. One of them is filled with gunpowder. Yes. So that's right. Well, that's right. Blow the whole thing right. to Blow it to smithereens. Which yes. I'm not sure why you would have that, but whatever. And then there... there's always a big red button you could push. Right. Well, this is the I big mean, red button that you push. So she's can turn. I think it's like a cricket or something. You turn the cricket, mm -hmm. everything goes up. Kablooey, kablam! Everybody dies. Turn the scorpion. 
your man lives, you stay here with me as my prisoner. That's what happens. She turns to Scorpion. What that does is it starts emptying the lake into the room that they're in. Right. And and she's like, you said that you'd save them. You have to save them. And they're like, oh, no, they're, we're going to drown. And they start scooching, scooching to the higher ground. But there's not a lot of higher ground because it's catacombs, y'all. There's not a lot of places to go. They get it to the higher space. And that's when the phantom opens the trap door that was in the floor of the room that they were in. So they were underneath. Even though earlier... She was looking through a window at them. I don't understand the math of this space. And they come out. They come out and uh, they don't drown and everything is fine. And then because they have, he has, the water from the lake is drained. Now the villagers that the pitchfork wielding, torch wielding, pissed off mob doesn't have to worry about this lake and they do just start wading on through and the the alarm goes off again with the phantom and he looks and he's like oh i know and he tries to flee with christine and steals raul's carriage good job and he's riding 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 through the through the streets he like so he throws the carriage like the carriage driver right. off it was rough and he's driving and christine's in the in the carriage and they're going, they're going, they're going, and the mob is coming and and, and chasing them. And uh, this carriage and these streets have a big fight. And Christine is like, "When it's my second, I'm going to leap from the carriage." And she does leap from the carriage. Um, and that's when the like he goes even into more of a frenzy, and he really, literally rides this carriage until it's wheels fall off the wheels fall off the horses come like which reminds you again like when we were watching the thing um about how really and i'm not denigrating today's stunt people oh but how really dangerous, dangerous extremely dangerous this is a live horse and god forbid the horse would get hurt but yes and a live carriage and this thing just comes to pieces yeah yeah it I, comes to pieces. She jumps out of a moving carriage. Right. She is a lump on the floor. Raul covers her with her body because we've already seen in yeah, other scenes does, people getting trampled right. and this village did, mob is coming. During the, uh, the chandelier falling scene. Yes. Um, we saw just women being women trampled. Women just being trampled. Cause, so in this one, he very... That's the first part of what... Or the first, the first time I liked him in this movie is when he throws himself yes. over her because the oncoming mob... Was gonna just was gonna trample her. And he's like, nope. Yeah, I'm protecting her. Right. And in that what? Yes, that was the first you, thing that I had seen. I was like, oh, he does care about. He's her. exhausted because he got pulled out of the room while he, he was, was all hot. He was all drowned. Yeah, right. he's he's been through it, and yeah. still he protects her with his body. Pretty good. Um, so the this is this is the part where the makeup starts sort of diminishing, not for any fault of his but just the angle is wrong right. we're looking at him from above and you can you, you can see that he has a nose like you yeah. can it just doesn't it doesn't hold up it's a it's a which i mean it's makeup it is meant to be looked at at an angle that is the whole thing I think with the makeup. other issue is we're also seeing i mean the film went through so many directors that's true at least three directors and they kept coming back to reshoot yes so, All sorts of scenes, so I don't know. In, in the original, right. we'll stop here real quick, because in the in the book mm-hmm. and in the original cut of this movie, Raul gets her out of there, and he 
the the phantom goes to his organ and dies basically of a broken heart over mm. his organ and the villagers or the, not the villagers they're not they're in Paris the the, the you know the the mob right. comes and finds him there dead well that didn't do it for audiences they needed the mob to come upon this man and beat him to death and throw him into the river because that is how this movie ends he he is accosted on both sides by this mob right on the bank of the river and he holds up his hand to stop them and they're like what does he have in his hand like what and then like maniacally laughing he opens his hand and there's nothing in it and they just all like they converge from all directions people come on him Two and just start fall over the bank him. Yes, into the sand yes. because they're so anxious to get yeah. at him it was and like, they beat ouch. him and then throw him into the right. sand and originally there was a follow up scene of the Raul and Christine on their honeymoon. Right. We didn't get that's yeah. like a typical romance epilogue. We don't get it in this cut. Um, it just is like Phoenice, and that's it. And that is the Phantom of the Opera. So, what did you think? Did you find it thrilling? Yes, I come down on the side of yes. I uh, really, uh, I when we started prepping to watch it i thought we were going to watch a movie that was in an hour and 45 minutes long and i'm not gonna lie that was a bummer for me i was just like this is gonna be really long like i made sure i didn't have my phone because i was like i'm not gonna be looking at the screen i'm gonna be missing stuff it's so why is it so long i know the story i saw the phantom of the opera at the current theater when it was in its you know whatever it is the second longest run Mm. in one place like that and cats were the two longest running things the cats on broadway and and the phantom of the opera at the current theater in san francisco it it ran for like 25 years or something and in high school we went to see it um and so that is the version that i am familiar with the one with the music in it you know what this doesn't have any music. It's the fan of well, the opera. The, there is no mu- There's music. Right. Of course there's music. Because that's all a silent film can have is music. And the music was quite good. Uh-huh. It wasn't what I was familiar with. But it was quite good. But I was just like, I really was. I'm like, I know it's a, it's the thrills list. So it won't be boring. But when you tell me that I'm going to watch an hour and 45 minutes of the fan of the opera that is silent, I'm like... Also, I had seen that that one shot of his face, mm-hmm. which will no doubt be in the in the show art. If you haven't seen it, y'all, it's in the show art this week. I promise you. Um, so I knew I wasn't going to be shocked by it because I'd seen it before. But the what at seventy eight minutes, absolutely so yeah. good, and it keeps going. Right, it is visually interesting. Even of... though the, some of the ways that they kept it visually interesting right. were baffling, like. Why are these ballerinas just spinning for no reason while having conversations? It's weird. Um, <laughs> but I get it. I, I've seen... I don't know how many versions of this story. And what it typically takes to make... You're fine. Oh. I'm just... I'm, I like the way it feels on my neck. I'm sorry. And uh, I'm sorry. It's like I'm not high at all. I just, yeah, no, I just like the way that my ponytail feels on my neck. Sorry. So I've seen 
a number of versions of this film. The one I'm most familiar with uh, was uh, Claude Rains. Okay. Played the Phantom. Which is from the early 30s, right? Or the 40s. Oh, the 40s. And um, and that was in Technicolor, and they sort of did it up that way. Internet's back. And um, and I, th- I forget who the actual the actress who played Christine was an actual opera singer. Um, because they decided they're going in sound, they're going in color, they're going big. And then I've seen the Hammer version with Herbert Lom. And then there was any number of other versions, one with Robert Englund, and then there's the Phantom of Paradise, which is about a disco. And Her name was Susanna Foster. Yes, okay. Um, but I, I hadn't seen the entirety of this film before. Okay. Is what I realized when I was looking at it. Okay. Like any version of it, any of the multitudes of versions, because that's the other thing. Mm. This was released in 1925. This is right. a 1929 cut. There's like, well, there's the, like probably six. The film tested really poorly at versions. times. Like the, the first version, as you mentioned, has him turn away from Christine Raoul, walk away, and then he creeps over to the, the, his organ and then just stoops over and dies of a broken heart. And to. Which is how the book ends. Right, which is how the book ends. But I think to people who were so horrified or outraged yeah, by his appearance. we've watched this man straight up murder like right. three people at this point and sh- cause the death right. of even more, that, that that's how he gets off as a little bullshit. Right. So <laughs> I'm not bloodthirsty. He creeps around hanging people. He does, and we don't, God only knows what he did to Carlotta's daughter or Carlotta. Um, so, yeah, I. In watching this film all the way through, I was sort of amazed by how it worked really well and amazed by, again, Lon Chaney, who's a, just a remarkable actor. You yes. Know, he, his, uh, his, his gift for, like... And we mania was right. quite his, impressive. Right. It was not... It didn't even feel... It's hard to say this. It didn't feel ableist. It didn't feel like he was doing... Right. Too much. It felt like he was the right amount of mad, if that makes sense. Well, yes. And I think that his experiences in actual life, when I was a kid, there was a, a film that got a lot of time on UHF stations. Um, was it the, Weird Al's UHF? No. No. Okay. The Man with a Thousand Faces. Okay. And it starred James Cagney as... As Lon Chaney? As Lon Chaney. Oh, I've never heard of that. And I mean, I've heard of the movie, but I didn't know that's what it was about. Right. And although uh, Lon Chaney Jr. wanted to play his father, and he wasn't allowed to because James Cagney uh, wanted to play yeah, that. Yeah. The, and yeah, James Cagney also, was a huge star. Also, Lon Chaney Jr. was a foot taller than his dad, maybe? Well, I, he's certainly much more robust, too. He's a big guy. Yes. Um, the, uh, the film, in some ways, was kind of inaccurate, and Lon Chaney Jr. didn't like it so much. Um, oh, that's unfortunate. But, Maybe it's better that he wasn't in it then. Right, but it did give the basic outlines of his life, and you realize that, oh my God, he had a rough time. His parents were both deaf. His oh, that's right. uncle, I believe, opened his school for the deaf. He's a coda. And mute. Child of deaf adults. Right. Um, yes, Lon Chaney Jr. was 6'2". Lon Chaney was 5'7". So that'd be a tough call. Right. James Cagney was probably taller than 5'7". James Cagney though. was not very tall. Oh, no? Okay. He was one of these little scrappy tough guys, and so he played that off really well. Um, oh, but, yeah, 5'5". Five, five. Yeah. So, uh, in terms of his body movement and everything, he was able to communicate a great deal through pantomime. Yes. Uh, his first wife, Chaney's first wife, 
suffered from some form of insanity. Oh, no. They were performers together working on vaudeville. And Actual insanity or just she doesn't do what we like so we put her in the asylum? Uh, no, no, no. no. Okay. She, he, he had to have her it's a 50-50 shot taken care of after she attempted to kill a uh, suicide using some sort of caustic drink that actually oh, ruined her no. vocal cords so she couldn't speak anymore. That's terrible. And that's throwing it back to his right. childhood and so right, he really could have. Um, but what really helped his career as was demonstrated in the film and apparently in real life was the fact that he could do makeup. And so every time in the beginning that he needed, that a studio needed a group, an extra call, and they wanted, we're doing Moby Dick, we need Alaska, and we need a, really, a tattooed yeah. sailor, and he yeah, could I do that. could do that, yeah. It's like, well, we need an Egyptian print, he could do that too. Woof. And understandably, I know, it's rough. It's, this is... This is a go, and they didn't right. know better. Oh. But, they knew better, but they didn't do better. It's right. fine. <laughs> so he was able to capitalize on his ability to be anything. And one of his yeah. first parts, and that's something that's covered in The Man with a Thousand Faces, he was physically like a lot of silent actors. Like we saw Harold Lloyd doing these yes. really physical things. Yes. And he was he was, um, he was almost like a contortionist. Almost like they're, yeah, acrobats or contortionists. Right. And like, so he had a scene where he's, uh, I forget, he plays a character who is cured by a false miracle worker. And he's able to get up and walk where he's, you know, he hadn't been able to before. He was like walking on his knuckles. And wow. and that really, apparently that's what Irving Thalberg, the great producer, saw when he cast him in The Hunchback of Notre Dame. It's like, where's this guy been hiding? Because by that point, he was a respected character actor and Hunchback of Notre Dame made him into a star. He did three films with the same guy who played Raoul as his antagonist yeah. over a woman, which is very funny. The fact that it's just like, who's going to get the girl in this film? Um, oh, my God. What? He died so young. Yeah, he did. He died. So I'm just looking it up. So he was born in 1883. Uh, he did this movie in 1925. Mm -hmm. So he's. 32, four years later, mm -hmm. at 36, he was filming Thunder in the winter, and he developed pneumonia. Right. Uh, that didn't lead to, but it might have been what found the bronchial lung cancer that he had. That was exacerbated when artificial snow lodged in his throat during filming and caused a serious infection. Which, if I'm not mistaken at the time, because Orson Welles talks about that too when he was doing Jane Eyre, that they just ground up mica chips and put them all over the floor. Oh my God, that's fucking because, terrible for you. Well, but, the lung cancer that would have right, resulted Visually, you can understand that yes, of course. it's a blanket white and it reflects the same way snow does. They wrapped you in asbestos because it kept you safe from fire. Oops, well, it also gives you cancer. Yeah. That's terrible. And then destroyed by aggressive treatment, his condition worsened, and he died of a throat hemorrhage. Which is, again, he's reduced in his to... his throat. He's reduced that voice. to speechlessness. Yes. Uh, uh, in August of 1930. That, to me, is the part that actually is the most heartbreaking, is that in the end, he winds up unable to communicate the same way that his parents and he had to, like, Come or, yeah, 40, he was 47 right. years old. Yeah. Or the way that he couldn't communicate with his parents or the way that his wife couldn't communicate to him after her suicide attempt his first wife. Um, he now is stuck in that silent world again, which must have been really horrifying. 
Or maybe by that well, point, maybe not, sick. because maybe he had taught enough of the people around mm-hmm. him how to communicate. Right. He would have known sign language if he was a, if he was the child of two deaf adults. And that's what's, so, right. Or or some version of sign language existed. That's covered they in could communicate the film, and they would communicate with sign him. Language. Mm-hmm. He did have a sign with them. Yeah. And, um, and and at this point, and we're talking about school, localized about, different right. sign language um, pockets yeah. where there isn't like a national uh, language. It's the language that deaf communities come up with to to survive. Right. Um, but yeah, he would have been able to. He would have well, been able. He would have been able to because, and he would have also been able to write. His uncle started the school. Yes, for deaf and mute children. And his parents both were, so he was able to, he, he knew how to do that, but to me it's just... Ooh, the Colorado School for the Education of Mutes. Right. Now the Colorado School for the Deaf and Blind. Good choice, y'all. Um, there's a, a scene in a film called The Unknown. Okay. It was directed by Todd Browning, who directed Dracula. And Todd Browning had been a circus performer himself, so he just likes doing movies about the circus or these really creepy, weird, strange films. And, and in that film, um, Lon Chaney played a circus knife thrower who throws knives with his feet because he has no arms. Wow. And he's throwing them at uh, this beautiful young woman played by Joan Crawford, who's, I think, 18 years old at the time. Um, who And... Her, the man who's pursuing her, uh, he's in love with her. The man who's also in love with her is the same actor from this film. Oh, he interesting. He plays Raul. Yeah. Because, um, again, they just had this kind of it's weird rivalry thing yeah. in the film. Uh, and well, his real name was Leonidas. Right. That's rad. <laughs> well, his real uh, Longini Jr.'s cool name, name is Creighton. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, so in this film, it, it, there's all sorts of melodrama, but um, the young girl who's his knife-throwing assistant is disgusted by men constantly pawing at her and reaching at her. And um, the character Alonzo, who's played by Lon Chaney, is uh, armless, so she spends his, her time talking to him and confiding in him, and then he falls in love with her. And it turns out he has arms. As a matter oh, of he's fact, hiding them. He has two thumbs on one hand. He's just kind a polydactyl. Of, yeah, or a pterodactyl. I don't know. No, Anyhow, polydactyl. Um, over the course of the film, in trying to win her love, he has his arms amputated. I think I've seen this. And I've seen a, a version of right, something like this. When weeks later he returns to try to now conv- tell her of his love and all. It turns out that during the time he was away, she has fallen in love with Raul, the Raoul stand-in. And she, he puts his arms around her, and she sort of cuddles up to this guy. And Lon Chaney's character, Alonzo, seeing that, yeah. loses his, his stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he begins laughing, and they're all laughing together. They're all laughing together. And I put this clip on, on Ceiling Night, and I'm going to put it, share it with okay, yeah, Blake because it it's like amazing. North. You can see his eyes going mad. Right. And he's still laughing to the point to where the other two actors are now looking at him going, is he okay? Is he okay? Could you stop him from laughing? Are you all right? No. He, and it was, he will laugh 
forever. Right. It was that scene that convinced apparently a really young Burt Lancaster, like, no, I have to be able to do that. That's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. He's laughing with the bottom of his face. The top of his face is completely... Right. It's like the opposite of a smize. Right. Yeah. He's horrified by what he's doing. I remember Gregory Peck talking about... That reminds me of that... What's that... There's, it's another, I think, um, carnival-y movie about a smile. Like, oh, The Man Who Laughs. Yeah, that one. Plane. Yeah. It was the, the inspiration for um, The Joker, as a matter of fact. Yes, that's right. And that's a really good silent film. I've seen that one. And uh, that was... Yeah, Christ- I've seen pieces of it. Um, Christopher Lee's favorite actor, Conrad Veidt. Um, and that that film is a lot... Well, it's better for the character because he eventually becomes the hero. Of the film, uh, but yeah, that that moment when he's going mad is an amazing performance, and you're going like, God, what? And then you read about his life, Cheney's, and you see all the pain that went into it, and you think that that played a huge part in de- developing this character and other ones. Maybe his madness is something that he saw in others. Maybe his madness was his chance to let go of all the stuff that was troubling him. But he's certainly, especially the scene where he's running away with the carriage. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that performance right there is the... Everybody thinks of that scene where he's unmasked. Right. But I would say that his performance peaks in that yeah. end scene, for sure. Well, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. The silent thriller. Silent thriller. So next time, mm-hmm. we're going to watch... It's not silent. It is. Is it black and white? It, it is black, black and white. white. Beautiful black and white. Um, we are watching 1951's The Day the Earth Stood Still, a movie that went up against uh, The Thing from Another World, which we mm-hmm. previously watched, for awards and things. Right. Like, they came out the same year. I have never seen this movie. I have seen the boring remake with Keanu yes. Reeves. Um I stand Keanu Reeves. I do not stand that movie. So well, that movie had everything going for it, which is what was so disappointing. Yeah. And you know, it had Keanu Reeves. It had uh, Jennifer Connelly in it. It had these are good people. The advantage of modern special effects, and but it just I don't. Yeah, I don't think it knew what it wanted to say, or it was too afraid to make the statement that the movie makes. Right. Is my understanding. And I think that this, and like I said, I haven't seen the original. So the original we'll find film out is. In glorious black and white. And it is um, also the music is, I believe, Bernard Herrmann. And he uses the theremin. Oh, well then, yeah. It's going to be fucking weird. So it's just... Let's get weird. Weird and fun. It is Robert Wise. Let's get weird with the theremin. Oh, yeah. But you did say it was... Because when we started this, I was like, "Mm, honestly, I'm unexcited about our next watch. Because the my experience is the remake, right. which was just deeply boring. I don't know if I actually watched the whole thing or if it was just on while I was mm. there, but um, I remember being bored. But this is on the thriller list, so it shouldn't be boring. No, it's not. And I didn't realize it was Robert Wise, which that does make me feel a little more excited. We will probably have to rent it on Amazon. Okay. That looks like what is. Uh, where it is it is available so that is probably what we will do 1951's the day the earth stood still that's what we're watching next week oh the man who stars in it has 
severe cheekbones, very yes. sharp face. His face is sharp. Michael Rennie, who is one of my favorite character actors. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, because he's just very tall and very distinguished. Looking. He does. He does appear tall, and he does appear pointy. That's mm. what I can see about him, yeah. in, in what I'm seeing. Uh, until then, do you have anything that you would like to wreck? Amend. Yes, I do. Um, and we, we've come late to it. Oh, what's uh, that? This is a TV show that we recorded ages ago. And it's available now on Paramount, I think. I think. Um, yes, it's a CBS show. Right. And, and it's uh, Clarice. Yes, we are finally watching the Silence of the Lambs spin-off. Right. Things I like about Clarice, the lead performer is amazing. She's quite good. She is amazing. I was like, there are moments that she, because she's playing the character basically handed off to her by Jodie Foster. Yes, she does do really a good typical. job with the accent. Right. Which is funny being Australian. She comes up with... Oh, with, is she? That's yeah. what I was just looking up. Um, but she plays, this is a year after Clarice has rescued um has rescued uh, Catherine from Buffalo Bill's Dungeon of Horrors. And she's constantly flashing back on it. I really loved Hannibal, the TV show, as gruesome as it was. That was a great show. This is another side of that same story. In that, as much as I like that, it does kind of sort of glorify the killer. And this one's like, well, this is a woman who's not going to call herself a victim. She refuses to. Yeah, which is kind of a problem because she definitely has PTSD yeah. and definitely needs to deal with and it so, because she is having hallucinations right. almost constantly. Right, and she has a therapist who seems to be really bent on, at least as far as we've gotten in this season, uh, gathering information to write a book on her or something. He's like really poking and prodding and using artificial means to kind of manipulate her into... Um, where he thinks she should be. Yeah, he's bad at his job, and she does call him out on it, and I do appreciate that. Um, we're four episodes in, five episodes yeah. in. I don't want you to be disappointed. It, yeah, it ends with what it is. So there are 13 episodes, and that is that. But it is a really... Her performance is amazing. There are parts of it where... Parts of the show where you can see her both channeling Jodie Foster, and at one point in the last episode we watched, she does a full Anthony Hopkins. She also looks like Jodie Foster and Julianne Moore had a baby. Right. I was like, like telling you, it's like... It's crazy how like much she looks Elliot like Page. both of the people. Yes. She has that same kind of very expressive, very yes. kind of... She has, yes, and, and the angular right. lines of her face. Yeah, yeah. And she just... But she captured... The, it, it takes most of the same characters that are in her orbit from the book... Ardelia. Ardelia. Ardelia Map. What a um, good name. So, it's that's a good actress. I like her, and I want her her to be in more things. Rebecca Breeds is playing um, Clarice, and um, Cal Cal Penn's in it. I like Cal Penn. Yeah. I think he might be a bad guy. Michael Cudlitz. Michael Cudlitz from looking very Walking different. Dead. Yes, than his I didn't. Dead I, was, I was I was like watching him going, who's that guy? I know him. Did, I know him. did Stephanie recognize him? I, does she still not know that it's him? No, I think she does. She does. Because okay. I said, oh, it's the guy from The Walking Dead. And she's like, oh, yeah. But I don't know if she was 
Oh, she thinks it's somebody else. Because I could see her mistaking him for somebody else in The Walking Dead. Right. Because he doesn't look like he did then. No, no. I the, mean... The taking that, away the handlebar mustache and... The, and the red mullet. Right. Yeah, it's that, that red mullet does a lot of work. But... So. Yeah, what I liked about this film is... Or this series of films, to yes. be honest. Because TV shows aren't like TV shows. TV shows aren't like, you anymore. know... Yeah. I mean, I was watching the first episode of Stranger Things, which I am not going to get into because we, we're going to see the rest of it together. Yeah, please don't. Um, no spoilers. But the cinematic weight of that, when you're watching it, you're going, okay, we've, you're not doing episode of the week anymore. This isn't... Uh, there was a time when that kind of television was prominent and then it sort of went away and we did sitcoms, we did other things, but... Now we're back in this age where it's supposed to, this television can carry a lot of weight, or this program can carry a lot of weight. So, watching this woman deal with PTSD, use the skills that she's learned, not just from the academy, but even pulling on things that she learned, as I said at one point, from Hannibal Lecter himself, and you see her just sort of channel that in an attempt to unsettle a person who's trying to murder her. Right. And, and it works. It's like, oh, wow, where did that come from? But it, uh, yeah, I was, I'm really Yeah, but I need her to get some therapy because she should absolutely She's, 100% and that's not be thing. in the field. She knows that she needs it, but she knows that she doesn't need it from this guy. No, yes, no, this guy's a douchebag. And, and I was then, like, you need to run. Right. The last <laughs> episode. Because he feels like he's grooming you and right, it's gross. exactly. That's why I'm like, are you just And I don't to use that out? word lightly. No. I was like, no, 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 red flags, red flags. And she does call him out on it eventually. She's like, um, I don't, I do want, uh, uh therapy but you're right. not it not from you and he's like well i was just trying to blah 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 and she's like you might think that's what you were doing but i don't think you're very good at your job right and i need somebody who's good at their job at least as good at their job as i am because right. i am also a basically a psychiatrist not not a not a um treating psychiatrist but she is an alienist, and she is studying right. the psychology. That's of one of the conflicts of the series because it's taking place in the appropriate period of time to when the book was written. Yeah, it's in the nineties. It's a so period piece. The the kind of work that she's doing is still not accepted by the group. The the group that she's no, yeah, into at she's. Large. This is before the BAU actually really mm -hmm. fully is. I mean, it was it was founded in the seventies, right? Um. Which we watch with Mindhunter. Right. Which was what I was going to compare it to. It's like it's like that. It's like that. You're but trying to get your cred, right? Still, because she is basically the Scully, right? Or Mulder. She's you know before she's pulled into the case that we see her start on. Mm -hmm. She's been in a basement for literally a year, just doing computer right. research. Y'all, there's not a lot of computer research to do in 1992. She's also making phone calls and stuff. You know what I'm saying? She's in a basement. She's full on Mulder. Right. Before she's and pulled she out. And she shares an apartment with Ardelia. Yeah. Who, I can't remember who played her in the film, but she was also very good. Um, Keep talking about the, her and I'll find I out. I was, was just trying to focus on it. Um, but they share an apartment and you get to see the eccentricities of two people who are both somewhere in the spectrum and how they help each other out. The other thing that I like uh -huh. um, is that Ardelia is very good friends with Clarice. Right. And she is also a black woman who is done 
is done. Right. Centering a white woman's feelings in every decision and choice that she makes. And they talk about it. And Clarice also has like a conversation with her where... It's Cassie Lemons. Cassie Lemons, of course it yeah. is. I loved her. Yeah. Um, Behind the the, right. the, the, the uh, camera more these days. Right, that's kind of what I was going on. I know that she's become a director. And she was like... in Candyman. We just saw her in Candyman. Yeah. Um, but the thing is that I, uh, I appreciate the fact that you have this friendship between these two women. Yeah. That they're supporting each other. Yep. They still disagree. Yep. Because they have a full-blown fight. Right. But Ardelia, and Ardelia knows something's wrong because Clarice doesn't come home and she goes and looks right. for her. And it is a fight. It is a... Well, because... Literally, you need to stop with this race. That you need to stop. Right. <laughs> you started out as a train... You weren't even finished the Academy. Yep. We were in the same place. Right. They were together and in the Academy. you're the star because you're the face of what they can mm-hmm. put forward. As, even though I right. did... I mean, you were physically there... But Ardelia, it, without Ardelia, Clarice doesn't. Right, and there's do so many. Does. That's what and I like about this. And they keep going to Ardelia. The, her right. team now keeps going to Ardelia because she has these connections and this these yeah. talents. Um, I, I, what I like about it is it looks at the original film and the book, and just really kind of creates something out of that, and respects the material enough to not sort of go off in its own direction and. Yeah, and the book has the books have a lot to pull from. I've read all of the books. Mm-hmm. I go. It's been a while. The the three main ones. I don't think I read any of the other right. ephemera that he put out around them. But I read the three main books. Um, I don't love what Thomas Harris decided to do with Clarice eventually. I think that, but I like seeing her at this time, right. one year out from the Buffalo Bill incident. In the middle of some of the most severe PTSD that we've yeah. ever seen. And I appreciate that what she's going on, her mental illness that, that we're seeing, does not give her superpowers. No. It, it is a hindrance. No, it does not. And it's, <laughs> yeah. Which, right. too often, that's the thing. She's bipolar and magic. And it's like, nah. No, they do say it from time to time that I wish other characters say I could wish I could see what you're saying. But. That's the same thing, though, yeah. that we see with. Uh, Hugh Dancy's character in Hannibal. Hannibal right. It is, it is a style of FBI investigator not, that is not right. based necessarily. These are both traumatized people. I do not believe, and I do not believe that these shows put forward that their trauma is where their gift comes from. No. I think they are traumatized people with a gift. Right, exactly. And that, that's what I liked about it. I liked the fact that... Although realistically, right. especially with empathy, growing up in an unstable home leads to empathy. Why? Why am I very empathetic? I need to know where the problem's coming from. Well, it's also... I need to know where the unstable right. person is in a room, and I can pick up on it very, very easily because I had to to survive. There's a moment where they go into a home, her and one of the members of her team now, or the team that she's uh, been asked to work with, and there's a single father. He's just lost his wife. Yes. And he's exhausted. Yes. Because he and has an autistic do. son. He's got an autistic he son, yeah. And, and she, a baby who right. is being breastfed still. Like, that's how right. young his baby is. And so she, now yeah. he's like, oh, shit, it she sucks to be a mom. looks yeah, at him and goes, 
I can change a diaper. I grew up in an orphanage. I've changed lots of diapers. I've changed lots of diapers. And then they just sort of move on, and they don't get to that until like oh. a couple of episodes later when you find out what happened to her father, and it's revealed so naturally. Yeah. There's not a big exposition dump. No, there is. There's some exposition dumping, but it's not. Yeah, but it's not all at once and in a, a natural way. It is right. almost all through her fucking hallucinations that well, I that swear to God or... she is having. 20 out of 24 hours a day. And she is hallucinating That constantly. and um, the conversation. You know. Yeah. We're finding out about some yeah. of the characters and everything. So I, I'm really enjoying where it's going so far. We're going to watch the whole season and then you we're going to be done because yes. that's all there is. But yeah, I liked Hannibal. I liked the films. Uh, well, up until... I agree. I didn't like what Thomas Harris did with the character. I don't like that. If you don't know uh, in the books, even uh, they end up together, right. and it's gross. The excuse because that if you don't think he was grooming her, right. you are wrong. That is, is appropriate that, use of that term. I've read this interpretation too that the uh, what is it Hannibal. I guess is the the, the third yeah, book, right? Yeah, Hannibal's third movie. Is, or the book, rather. Yeah, and the third is book. Is taken from his point of view. Yes. So this is a hallucination that he's going on about. Oh, interesting. You, there's a lot of mind palace in that right. book. A lot and of mind so palace in that And so given that we're inside of his head most of the book, that this is what's going on in his head. This is not what's happening in real Maybe. life. Maybe. I like that better because yeah. I, it really diminishes her character. Right. Love who you want to li- love. Don't love Hannibal Lecter. What are you doing? You know better than that. You know better than that. Yeah. Ma'am. 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 She wouldn't be the genius that we think she is or has a potential And then to, to end up there. Right. No. It's, it's... So, yeah, I've always accepted that that story is probably the product of his incredibly febrile imagination. Fair, 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 fair. But, yeah, instead of focusing so much on the killer, focus on the victims and the survivors and the yeah. people who did that. Yeah, and, and yeah that's interesting. Which as is, long as you do it um, carefully. That's the other thing. What I like best about the show is the centering of the victims. Yeah. The bodies are treated with a lot of care. Yeah. Um, and it's it's um, explicit. Right. Um which you don't get in procedurals typically. The body is just a piece of meat that we need to look at for evidence. It's not treated as a person yeah. or a former person. Yeah, where you see her compassion come and in. And you she's see, like, and they center right. the care for the victims. And everybody, when they see bodies, look affected by it, which right. I appreciate. I understand that you have to build up a skin at some point yeah. if you're working homicides. But I don't believe that you can do your job if you build that skin too thick. Right. I just don't. Maybe I think maybe you should cycle out and not be on and homicides you for the ankylosaurus. And just, you basically are covered and, with armor. Yeah. And you can't All move. ankylosauruses are bastards. What? Right. Oh. <laughs> so what did you... I'm sorry, I took up so much time. What did you... You did. We talked about that for like 15 minutes. Um, I'm going to recommend a thing that we've already recommended, but it's back, and I want you to watch it because I want them to make more, even though I'm pretty sure this is the last season, and that's evil. On oh, Paramount Plus. Yes. Evil's back. I'm very excited. The show is gone totally bonkers off the rails. Um, it is the it is the couple that made The Good Wife and mm-hmm. The Good Fight, which went pretty bonkers places, but stayed you know, in a political or legal right. area. This is supernatural, so they get to go 
fucking all over the That's place. That's probably why they did it. And I love it. It's super fun. Also, the cast is so good. I still don't know if this lead character is is uh, fucking possessed or not. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And right. she's playing it so well. I can't tell. Right. And I can always tell. So that's back. We haven't watched any of the la- the latest season, but I just saw we, we just we, saw we that it was playing. Stranger we're Things. We're back to everything, man. Stranger Things, Obi-Wan, which I've also heard is Oh, really that's good. right. Yes. Um... There is... There's like five movies I want to watch. Right. Well, Phil Tippett's Mad God... Okay. Got put, ...is on Shudder now. This is his 30-year side job yeah. that he was doing where oh he's my God. just animating these puppets for 30 years while he's doing Jesus Empire Christ. Strikes Back, while he's doing these right, other things. Right, right, right. So we've got... And the more CGI that he got asked to do... He the more went, he leaned into right, this. Right, the more yeah. he leaned into this. So he and could so still do it. I've heard that it's almost incomprehensible at times, but it's just visually nuts. Visually nuts, yeah. So we've got a right. lot of stuff to watch, but... I'm I'm going to say evolve. The other thing right. that I'm going to recommend um, is uh, reach out to your politician constituents, whatever. If you're in Texas, especially, but even if you're elsewhere, legislatures are stepping up to want to save children, and the thing that they want to save children from is drag queens, and I fucking can't. Right yeah. after the Uvalde shooting, they don't want to talk about gun control. They want to talk about taking away drag queen reading in libraries and doing family-friendly brunches. That's what they want to... They, they want to outlaw those. And it's fucking disgusting. Mm. We are going backwards rapidly when it comes to LGBTQ rights in this country. Mm-hmm. Rapidly. Over 500 anti-LGBTQ laws have been um, brought up in legislatures this year. It's really 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 bad so i would say say gay as loud as you can as often as you can support those people mm. whether or not you are gay or are queer guess what you're probably a little tiny bit gay you're not you're like whatever the kinsey scale of all the way hetero is, you're like over there. I remember my friend Norm telling me that. He'd like, he would sit around, he's a wonderful man, and he would point out people, we worked in a warehouse together, it's like, that guy's kidding himself. That guy's trying too hard. And so at one point I look at him and I go, so what do you think about me? He's like, oh, you're so straight, you sleep standing up. And it was uh, like, yeah. it, was, it was really fun, but I, because I didn't, it didn't bother but, but me. But because right. you're, you know that. Yeah. You are fine with gay people because what? they right. don't have anything to do with you. Right. It, they can just live their gay lives <laughs> as gay as they want. And it leaves more women for you. For me, so. <laughs> Which is why I don't understand why. I don't understand why straight right. guys have a problem with gay guys. I'm like, they're, they're just freeing up the group that you yeah, want. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, women are like, yeah. Be mad at lesbians. If you're going to be mad at somebody, don't be mad at lesbians. No, no. Half the, <laughs> half the women I practice martial arts with are lesbians. I mean, they're, they're tom girls, right? Or tom girls? I guess I don't know, boys. Tom boys. I, uh, um, I, 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 I need don't to, I like need to get rid of these gender terms I, that are stuck in my head from like, my youth, I guess. I, I had the term tomboy stuck on me because I like to play outside. Right. I like to ride a bike. Yeah. Why is that not a thing girls can do? Oh, because girls are delicate. And they, 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 uh, they, 
Never. Or frail. I don't know if you've ever seen my frame. These bones ain't delicate. Joints, delicate. Bones, not delicate. I have a dense fucking skeleton. I don't always roll a joint, but when I do, it's my ankle. It's my ankle. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, I like that meme. It is a little too real. Uh, but I, I don't. I have my own issues with the gender binary, and I have to work with it too. I have to be able to try to understand. No, this is wrong. Yeah. Even if this is something that you were raised in, or a yes. culture that you're raised in, and it's like, in a lot of respects, I have everything going against me. Straight Christian, Latin, all these things kind of have a culture around them. Yeah, you got you got a lot of machismo right. built, sort of ingrained. And so, so you get to have your uh, uh, your your first um, response to a thing, which is the thing you were trained to, right. and then your second response, which is how you actually so, yeah, feel. Yeah, and so even like right now, using the term tomboy, I was like, oh, oh, wait. That, yeah, sure that's I, it's it's complicated, and it's still complicated mm-hmm. because I'm also not. I mean, I'm a person who believes that we should. degender uh-huh. our th- uh, most of our thought processes mm. like why is pink feminine why is nail polish feminine why is makeup feminine it wasn't always it yeah. just is right now if you want to look at pretty flowers why does that make you Anybody feminine who wonders, and or, or, right. or if you we want to call that feminine why why sh- mass men should have femininity they should have well, access to that because they're complex human beings. Right. And 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 holding on to this toxic masculinity, this macho man's man thing only hurts you. You don't get to be vulnerable. You don't get to you can't touch your friends. You can't talk about how you feel. You can and then you you, you fester. Right. And you rot. Well, <laughs> like even I, watching the count of uh, the Count of Monte Cristo, excuse me, the Phantom of the, the Phantom Opera. of the Opera. Um, look at the way Raoul dresses. Oh well, I mean, with yeah. his eupolets and uh-huh. his button, of corset of buttons, practically. Yes, there's so much. High heels used to be for right. men. Yes, exactly. Um, there's pink the, used to be the boy color. Like this is all arbitrary, right? And so I would rather just open up for people to be able to like and do the things that they want to do yeah. regardless of their genitals which I personally don't have any right to know about unless we are imminently about to be intimate. Right. Then I'm going to need you to tell me what's going on and what I should expect. Good for you. You don't like surprises. I would yeah. hope, well no, I, it's not that I don't like surprises, although in that case I don't know that I would like a surprise. I'm not going to be violent about it, right. obviously. No. And that's, but that's I'm a also a person part. who doesn't think you should be physical with somebody mm-hmm. if you can't have a conversation about said physicality. Right. We're not taught how to do that. I had, you know, one of my old roommates was like, I sleep with guys because it's easier than having a conversation mm-hmm. with them. They gave me a gift. It's the neighborly thing to do. Well, uh, ma'am. Yeah. Ma'am. Well, if you want to have sex with them, please have sex with them. But please don't do it because of those reasons. Those are hopefully terrible this reasons. We can push this back and it'll be a So just, past. I want everybody mm-hmm. to be Absolutely. able to be open and like and find joy in the things that they like and find joy in. Yeah. And that doesn't hurt anybody. And I don't understand what people's problems are. And don't are. be defensive that somebody else is having their moment. Have a moment. I mean, that's kind of what my thing is right now. It's, I understand, because there is a, in a definitive sort of animosity in some circles 
with people of color yes. and looking at how far the LGBTQ plus the alphabet mafia right how far they've gotten um, and now they're being pushed back they're, on they're so being like, pushed back yeah but and and if Roe gets yeah. overturned right if you think gay marriage isn't like right and behind it right you but are fooling yourself what I'm saying to myself is just like even if you feel like slightly envious that you're still getting stopped by cops all the time for no particular reason and you know what the thing is that we're all suffering from whatever we are dealing with. Yep. We're all working underneath. The systems kind of, yes. are broken. Right. Almost all of them. Right. I don't want to be, I don't want to say all of them. Well, but almost ooh. all of them. Right. Let's say almost all of them are broken. And they are disproportionately um, broken depending on where you fall on the privilege ladder. Yeah. via race, via gender, via sexuality, via et cetera, abil- bo- bodily yeah. ability or disability, all of these things. And each strike you have against you, the more broken the system. But here's the thing, though. I say the system is broken. The system is not broken. The system is working well, the exactly system is designed, as it right. has desi- been designed. The system is broken for the people that we are. We need to either destroy the systems and build them equitably or, or right. just really put a lot of fucking tape and rebar in there, paint, and like a lot of change. Like we're gonna have to facelift this bitch. Um, every every one of them, mm. every system that we have, those systems are working perfectly. White people are in power. White men are in power. And that's that's, that's how the system right. was designed, yeah. and that is how it is working. We say it's broken. It's not broken. It's working perfectly. So we need a new system, y'all. New systems. That's my that's my recommendation. New systems. Let's You're do in it. The lesson. All right, that was a tangent. So sorry. So sorry. So next week, you guys, we're watching a movie because no, that's what we do. Right. We watch movies here. Thank you. It's just still, which is actually falls so much in t- in tune with what we just it talked does, about. It does actually. No, that's true. Um, and we will be watching that. Watch it along with us, and we will talk to you next week. Uh, yeah. In the meantime, you can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at latecomerspod or on Facebook, latecomerspodcast, in the search bar. Uh, I would like to remind you to please, please take your medicine and take care of yourself. And we would like to remind you, better, better late than, than never. never. Happy Pride, everybody! <laughs> <laughs>